Welcome back, everybody. As always, this is the Sports Counterpoints Podcast. This is episode 10. My first name, Glenn. Got Brian and Jason, your hosts or superstar, should I say, at a show on the other lines. What's up, fellas? What's up? Good to see everyone or hear everyone. Hey, what's going on? Coop, what's up? So, yeah, we're working on the new stu- on the new, um, the new setups every day, trying to get better with the podcast, new mics, new tech. Uh, just just trying to make it happen out here and, and make sure it's clear and, and sounds good for you guys. So hopefully you enjoyed today's show. Today is February 25th, 2019. Uh, we have an interesting show today. Our group chat between the three of us this week has been about these topics. And we noticed that it's a lot of sports talk, but not so much stats. All this, all these topics are just kind of interesting stuff that's been going on in the week. So uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We're going to start with um, your, your New England Patriots fans, Robert Kraft, the owner, uh, the owner with the boner. <laughs> and then we got uh, we're going to talk about uh, A.B. That's Antonio Brown and Odell. Uh, we'll talk about Zion Williamson, the road to Zion. We're going to talk about Steve Beheim. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the referee. Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yep. Uh, thank you. We'll talk about the referees in the NBA. Uh, Tim Donahue and is it Steve Foster? Scott. Scott Foster. Excuse me. Yeah, y'all see, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Clearly, I just host a show about sports and don't know nothing that's happening. Um, and then we also are going to talk about the Lakers, as always. Three Laker fans here, and end it with the minute to win it. Uh, just the individual rants about whatever topic you want. So uh, let's get let's get started, man, with uh, Robert Creepy Craft. Uh, owner of the Patriots, B, kind of fill the, fill the people in if they don't know what's going on and, and, and give us some thoughts on this interesting sports right, story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to leave out the creepy part in the description. But uh, so Robert Kraft uh, apparently went down for the AFC Championship, uh, went to a massage parlor, um, got a massage and some and, and with, a, with a finish, um, and, and then went again back the second day. He got caught up in a sting that was actually being done related to sex trafficking um, that involved a whole lot of other people. Uh, at this point, there's no one believes that he had any other involvement other than going there and, and, and getting services rendered. But, um, but you know, you never know what will come out later. But they have video footage of him. Uh, he initially denied it, and then about an hour after that, the video footage came out and denials were over. Um, so anyways, that, that's what's going on now. He's been officially charged. The, the, the charges are actually misdemeanors. Um, they're but misdemeanor threes, I think is the leveling. Uh, I think the max he can get for each, um, each charge is 60 days in, in jail. Um, but in all likelihood, it'll be a fine and maybe some community service uh, for each because he's likely, a, a first-time offender. Not to mention, he's a billionaire. Imagine the attorneys he have or, or has are pretty decent, so they'll just want to kind of get this one over with as far as the court system goes. Now, what we don't know is what uh, the NFL will do after that. So, going into my own thoughts on it, it's it's just two misdemeanor charges. Like, like I, I don't I don't know how to get overly excited about this. He did when, <laughs> yeah, um, when you have things like. Jerry Jones, who was accused of sexually assaulting people who worked for him and that were in his suite at football games, and that got brushed under a rug. So, you know, the minute I saw this, I'm like, the dude's a widower. He's older. He's at a point in his life where 
finding companionship is probably not the easiest thing to do. Um, I don't think it's at all right. I'm not trying to to say, especially given that this this place was caught up in, in, in uh, human trafficking, which is one of the most deplorable things that go on on this planet. Um, but at the same time, I think we lose perspective because it's the Patriots and Robert Kraft when, you know, people have done significantly worse. And, you know, now they're talking about whether or not he'll be forced to sell the Patriots um, or forced to, to give it to his son and, and take a, a back seat when, you know, Jerry Jones again was able to get away with, with far worse. Um, Jim Mersey, uh, the owner of the, the, the Colts got a DUI, a felony DUI charge, got six games and I think was a $500,000 fine. Um, I don't necessarily think this rises to that level even. So, um, I don't necessarily think that, that much will come of this. I also don't necessarily think that if I think the timing is bad, you have a lot of things going on with me too movements, um, Bill Cosby, um, R Kelly, uh, just, just in general, this is not the time to be acting an idiot like he did by going there and, and doing those types of things. But I think, the acts themselves, there's a reason why they're misdemeanors, and, and that's, I don't think it's going to go that far. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people are speculating that he'll be asked to give up the, the franchise and hand it over to his son. Um, and Stephen, and I, you know, at a certain point in time, he's going to do that anyway. I just don't see the reason to force it over this, but you, you never know what will happen and how people will take it. If anything, even a drop, even an iota comes out about him being more involved um, with the the organization that was going on over there, the the people who were doing human trafficking. Uh, I hope they put his sorry ASS underneath a prison and in it for life. But and if that's not the case and it's just the misdemeanor for uh, one-time acts or two-time acts, day and the next day, then you know that's about as far as I think it should go. Jason, what do you think? To be honest with you, I just find this whole thing funny. Uh, I've always said that uh, when it comes to sports or even, you know, just life in general, you never know what your neighbor is doing. So this story did not surprise me. Just because somebody's stuff hasn't come out doesn't mean they're, you know, they're not doing anything or, or whatever. And uh, I just, I didn't bother even doing too much research on this. I just know that him and a couple other guys, I think there were a couple CEOs or a former partner of some company, uh, was caught up in this as well. But um, I just find it, I just find it actually hilarious, not the whole sex trafficking part and all that type of stuff, but just that he was uh, caught up you know, in, I guess, hand jobs and this little massage parlor place was at, well, or whatever. I just find it, find it funny. But in the end of the day, I don't think it, he might get suspended maybe from the NFL, maybe four to six games or so, and pay a small, pay a fine. But like you said, he's a billionaire. It's not going to mean anything and it'll be business as usual, um, you know, once, he, uh, once the NFL season starts. But I just found the whole thing funny. I think it's kind of interesting, too, the idea of like how um, sex work ties into this, too. Um, I mean, not to get too, you know, we won't get too graphic, obviously, because I guess this is a family show. I don't really know. No kids listening. But um, the idea of, you know, that sex work has such a taboo when clearly there's such a market for it. Um, If, you know, adults who wanted to do that kind of work. There maybe should be some regulations so that they could kind of like a Vegas type thing. But it's so secretive and back room that situations like this occur when they don't necessarily need to. Um, the idea of sex trafficking, et cetera. So, I mean, that part of it is kind of interesting to me as well. But 
it's it's kind of one of the things I found most interesting is like this guy is dumb rich. Like, why are you out here? One, don't go to Florida. I think we all know. I ain't seen nothing good happen in Florida, Florida man. Like ever. You know, all, nothing good happens in Florida. I mean, man. all kind of crazy stuff happens. Yeah, there. I've been I've been to Miami. That was cracking. But again, we we weren't doing too much good. You feel me? But um, I mean, you know, obviously, shout out to my people who are in Florida. I love y'all. Y'all know what I'm saying. But you know, anytime we see a crazy headline, man wrestles alligator or you know, kid taken by alligator from from neighborhood pool or anything ridiculous. Guy goes or in, a, into a mad customer. A mad customer is mad at his order at Wendy's and throws a baby alligator through the drive-in window. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I've seen a dude coming mm-hmm. with like a dead raccoon or something into the girl. Like just randomness. So like one for for Mr. Kraft. Like, bro, you don't need to do this. And like, um, me and Brian was talking about. Man, you got a whole locker room full of players that could hook it up easily. They stay doing this on the low without getting caught up. So, what is you, what is you doing? You know, man? I just just because you, you guys kind of brought it up, I'll bring up another interesting angle. The league is one season at max two away from having a team in the only state where prostitution is legal in what five counties. Correct. And so this same thing happens in the AFC Championship game. Not that the, Lake, the Raiders will ever be in one, but should they ever be in one in that was unnecessary. the AFC Championship game, um, you know, it will be perfectly legal. I think the bad look is that it was caught, right, in a sex uh, human trafficking ring. Um, but... The league has to. It'll be interesting to see how the league handles this because Definitely. the act itself. Let's just say you know that he had no idea any human trafficking was going on. He went to a place. Um, that same act will be legal in in some parts of the NFL in one year. Um, Correct. And if they were to kind of try and come down on him too hard, I couldn't find another way to phrase that. Um, <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> they they might have find themselves setting a, a a very ugly precedent for for you know the future. It won't be the first time. So I mean that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But you're absolutely right. I mean this is the other place where gambling is legal. So I know they're working on it now. But you know all these stances they've had, and I think part of it is the NFL should probably ease up on this idea of trying to discipline discipline players or. Not holier than thou, but like you got, come on, man, y'all don't don't act like now you stand for principles. Y'all are about money and big hits. You could leave it there. You know what I'm saying? You don't need to pretend like, oh no, we also want to be this for the community and we want to set this example. Like you really don't. Just say you're about the money and keep it that way. I think Floyd uh, Mayweather, to use a different sport, has always kind of been like that. And that's one thing. Whether you like it or not, you kind of gotta to a degree respect it because he's he said like I'm strictly about the money. So whatever he does is about the cheese. If it doesn't fit in your mold of, you know, uh, community service or or any other aspect, he's like, I was always about the money. I think the uh, NFL should do that, too, instead of trying to because just like you well, said, what are they going to well, do? Well, I hope this I hope the NFL goes a different route. I mean, yeah, if you're going to be that way, fine, come out and say it. But, you know, they really need to change it. Like Floyd Mayweather has made his money by being a, a scumbag um, and then boxing. But uh, the NFL is not supposed to be making their money that way. Well, I, I think the, they have, though. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you, you, anyone who listens to this podcast with any regularity knows 
what I think of the organization of the NFL. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree, but I, I you know, I, I'm hoping that at some point in time they, you know, they fix that problem, not accept that problem. Jason. Well, well first, you know, the NFL, they're a business. So, yeah. you know, they listen, they hear what people are saying on social media and how they're getting blasted on the news and everything like that. So they make rules and, and they're doing things, you know, providing insurance and pension for players and just a whole bunch of other stuff, not because they want to, but almost because, you know, they have to do all these lawsuits and a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, going on social media yeah, and people you know, investigating things about them. So, yeah, we know they're about the money. But, you know, sometimes you have to do what um, what drug dealers used to say, the cost of doing business, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you got to fork out some money, you know what I mean, just to keep people off you so you can keep on making the money that you're making, you know what I mean? Yeah, and there are moral businesses. There are lots of moral businesses. So there are people who make, make their money, make their living, um, and do it in, in do it in ways that also help people and help communities. Now, that's not to say that the NFL is ever going to get to that point. You know, there are there's a, a broad spectrum. Um, and you know, right now they're they're probably you know take the worst and put it on the left, and the best and put it on the right. They're probably not far from center, but on the left hand side. Um, you know, they're not they're not they're not they're they're far less uh, moral places to work than the the NFL, but they are not uh, not going to be noted for their altruism, right. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. You you had a great point too. I mean, what discipline can they do with this being legal? And I mean, technically now to a degree because Caesars came on as the official casino partner of I want to say the NFL in total, but for sure the Raiders. Well, but you know where mistaken. it's not legal. It's it's not legal on the strip. Um, so the, the place where the casinos are actually it's still illegal. Uh, it, it's the outside counties that you're allowed to do that. That yeah, that's true. I mean. Okay, uh, they still do it. Yeah, I know. They, I got you. Know, you. I got you. You can't. You can't walk ten steps without a flyer. But right, I got you. Fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, hopefully, kind of to a point. I mean, I had jokes too, but um, <laughs> if if he was just on some, you know, he didn't know, and he was out with his rich homeboys, you know, probably shouldn't be getting down like that. But there yeah. are places that yeah. that do this, and it's not. I mean, there's worse things to do. Now that the sex trafficking portion of it is where I fall off the line but these were adults that yeah. you know made a decision that's different and you know now you're caught up in a sting and you know that's a tough situation so hopefully for everybody involved there's some kind of resolution that you know allows them to get on with their lives and and kind of keep moving forward to a degree um so okay well that was robert Kraft. um yeah it's i guess it's hard to take care of yourself when you're wearing six rings so uh we'll go to antonio brown and odell um, AB asked for a trade. I think Odell signed and just wants his quarterback gone and a new QB. But um, this question was posed in the thread too. Kind of, we we know the situations behind them. Um, uh, Odell signed. AB just asked for a trade and he's kind of on the market. But the question here is, who would you rather have on your team? And actually, for this question, let's pose it from your actual team. So, Jason, you as an as a Niner. Brian, you was a Viking. Like, which player would you actually like on your specific team, not a hypothetical team? I wouldn't want either of them. So I'll answer it for another team because I've got two top-tier wide receivers on my team. It's, it's a hypothetical, <laughs> sir. But go ahead, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Go on, Jason. You start. Okay. Hey, I'll start because I have a talent-starved team, and we can use a wide receiver. So, yeah, I'll go. Um, if you guys don't know, I'm a 49er fan, for those who are listening. And if someone was to ask me, 
someone actually did ask me who would I want rather have AB and you know, Odell, and I actually thought about this. Um, AB was a little bit more productive receiver, um, but if I'm AB, I think the reason he's leaving is based on ego because it just looking. I always want to know why a person wants to leave a situation. And looking at Pittsburgh, I'm not sure why you want to leave. You have Roethlisberger as your quarterback who's won a couple Super Bowls. You have a coach. Yeah, he's not the best coach in the league, but he's decent enough, and he's won a Super Bowl. You have a emerging second receiver in a Juju Smith-Schuster who's very good. Um, you have a great offense. Whoever plays running back doesn't matter. is going to put up yards. You have a good situation. You got stable ownership. You got great ownership in the Rooney's. And you got, you know, a rabid fan base in Pittsburgh, and yet you want to leave all that to go to another team. I just don't like the mindset of that. Whereas on the opposite end, Odell, uh, like Glenn said, I just think he wants his quarterback going. I mean, Odell actually didn't start acting a fool until that that coach, the, the one before Shermer, I forgot his name. I think he only lasted like a season or whatever, but that's when he really started going off the rails because he wasn't like that at LSU, and he wasn't like that when, when Coughlin was the coach. But the next guy, he was so bad I forgot his name. But um, I could see him, but Odell I can't think of his name. Really, yeah, I, he was a nobody. But, um, yeah, that's when Odell really started, you know, I guess, I don't know, filling himself or whatever, started getting acting off the rails or whatever. But if you're Odell, that team, the Giants, is pretty much, they're living off reputation right now. I mean, they're just not a good franchise, not a good team. They haven't made the playoffs six of the last seven years. And I think the last two years, only Cleveland, they only have more wins than Cleveland. I mean, this, wow. uh, this decade, they have the third worst record in the NFL, and they've had three coaches in the last four years. So, oh, yes, Rick, his name is McAdoo. Guy named oh, that's McAdoo. right. That's that right. was a coach. And um, so, yeah, that's a dysfunctional franchise that's living off the Bill Parcells Super Bowl, you know, reputation. So if you're Odell and you have Eli, who's just getting worse by the year, and yet they still keep they still keep him. If you're Odell, I can see why you want to get out of that situation. Not saying I'm not sure he actually asked for a trade. I think the Giants just put him on the trade block just to see what they can get for him. So if I'm the 49ers, I'd rather have Odell. Now, my only problem with Odell is he does get hurt. Uh, a little more than I would like, and Cleveland Browns more stable. But I just think that uh, AB would just would just kill a locker room. I just think he's all about himself, his money, his touches. I don't really don't think he cares about winning or anything team oriented at all. Where I where I've heard reports about Odell, how he's a hard worker and and things like that. But uh, you just don't hear those type of things about AB. But I, I know AB. I've heard that AB is a hard worker, but he's just not a team guy. He's just not bought into the team. And so I haven't heard, you know, anything about that about Odell. So if you ask me, I'd rather have um, Odell Beckham because I kind of see why he would want to leave the Giants. I don't see why A.B. would want to leave the Steelers. Interesting. B? Well, so when I started looking into this, and, and I'm talking strictly about the, the players themselves. I won't, I'm not going to get into the, the organizations themselves. Um, the, I expected a different result. You know, when I just looked at the numbers and kind of took a look at it, if you look at over the course of their career, uh, first of all, Antonio Brown's played four more years than um, Odell Beckham. But uh, if you look over the course of their career, uh, Antonio Brown has been actually a less productive receiver on a per game basis by like eight yards and, and like point one on a touchdown. If you do the last five years, so Beckham since he got in the career, uh, got, got in, sorry, got in the league. Um, and Antonio Brown for for that period, 
you know, you start to get a little bit, even equally as close, right? Antonio Brown is gets about eight yards more receiving a game. Eight yards is not a whole lot. He's about point one better on the chance to get uh, you know, a touchdown in a game. So they're pretty actually identical. So it makes it pretty easy for me to say I would take Odell Beckham in a heartbeat. He's four years younger. He passes the eye test. Um, he's a little flamboyant, but at the same time, it's probably good for marketing. Uh, he hasn't come out and said he wants to get rid of Eli, despite Eli just stinking for the few years that he's been there. And that hasn't even been a problem, right? I mean, Odell Beckham has put up these kind of numbers with a quarterback that's been below average for, for most of the time that he's been on the team. Um, and he's still been able to put up kind of rock star numbers, whereas Antonio Brown has had a quarterback that I don't think should go to the Hall of Fame, but most others do. Um, either way, he's you know very good and productive. So you take a younger younger person in Odell Beckham. Um, you get rid of the fact that he has, despite a lot of good reasons, to not gotten in the public and then the uh, the trade demand and all this other stuff. And then you kind of go through what Antonio Brown has gone through lately, where he's talking and doing snaps where he's with uh, while he's uh, doing sit-ups and, you know, talking about how, who can come and talk to him and um, all the rest of this stuff. And I take a pass. Not to mention, I have a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin. Uh, you know, he was, a, he came from the Vikings as a person. And if you run yourself out with Mike Tomlin, who has given a lot of players, a lot of chances and a lot of players, a lot of different leeway. And you run your, you get to the point where that guy's willing to say, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Uh, I'm going to say you probably have a few flaws in the ointment, but um, so anyways, I'd pick Odell. A lot of that having to do with just youth uh, productivity being the same. Hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, Mike Tomlin is, is known for being a player's coach. So yeah. Yeah. If Mike Tomlin, if Mike Tomlin's tired of you, then uh, yeah, really tough. I mean, think of yeah, think of all the people that have gotten second chances or gone afoul of the league, and and Tomlin's either supported them or you know given them a second chance. And you know, we were talking about the stuff with with Kraft. You know, Roethlisberger's definitely far worse. yeah. Oh far yeah. Worse. Oh yeah. He's he's taking. He a did horrible things. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's what the allegations say. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah he did horrible things and and uh, and Tomlin is didn't run him out. So to get to the point where that organization and that organization is also known for their longevity. You know they've they've always been incredibly loyal to the players who have played there. Uh, so on and so forth. You know, I'm not a Pittsburgh fan by any stretch of the imagination, but they are known for their loyalty to both their coaches, the organization, um, you know, players, and so it says a lot that that organization um, is ready to cut. You know, if you go to New England and you don't show up to practice on time, they might cut you in a heartbeat. Um, so this is a different perspective. Yeah, Glenn. I, um... I hate to bring this up, but yeah, they threatened uh, Ben Roethlisberger when he was, you know, doing motorcycle and doing all the escapades and bathrooms and stuff like that. They threatened to trade him to the Raiders, and so he had to clean That's his exactly act. That's exactly what they did. What, so, year, what year was it, though? <laughs> oh, this was when you guys were really bad. This was like really second, yeah. No, it was. Yeah. This is after Gruden. So after it was Gruden, just like yeah. it was like it was like a second or a second year or something like that. Yeah, right yeah. after he won the Super Bowl is the year he had all the. Um, kind of the, the, the yeah. summer where he went a little crazy. 
Got it. In, I think it was in Reno. Reno or it was Reno or Tahoe. One of the two. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wondering because if it was before Gruden, then him and Gruden, I don't know what would happen, but it, I mean, it doesn't matter anyway. So there's plenty yeah. of conspiracy theories about that. We could almost got Aaron Rodgers and this person and that person, but got yeah. it. It is what it is. Uh, um, and lastly, you know, just Eli Manning, he's just horrible. Um, he's just playing the league <laughs> since 2004. You just, you just had to say that. You just, I, I know. To, I mean, he, he's been in the league since – it's just funny to me when I hear people talking on TV. He's been in the league since 2004. He's only won playoff games the years that he won the Super Bowl, So, which is he only won playoff games in two years. Of his entire time he's been in the league, and people are calling him the Hall of Famer. I just, I just find that absolutely ridiculous. And then they say, you know, well, he has two Super Bowls. He needs right. to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know but about that. But Jim Plunkett had two Super Bowls with the Raiders, and everybody seems to forget about him, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah. whatever. Well, They're you... going to put him in because he's from New York. He played for New York. But yeah, he, he, he's They're going to put him in because he's, his last name is Manning. Hey, Manning. Yeah, he's a Manning, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that helps. Yeah, that's wild, wild, wild. Okay. Um, good little good, good idea. I mean, good conversation. I like how the stance you both took. Both of you would take Odell. Interesting. I like it. Okay. Um, so now let's switch over to hoops and let's talk about the road to Zion. Zion Williamson, um, dude is so strong. He busts through shoes, making regular cuts. Uh, so he had a mild, a mild strain after the Nike PG, the Paul Georges he had on, um, basically like it looks like a seam busted right along the sole and his foot came out of it and he sprained his knee slightly he's not playing now um and i guess the question for you guys is and we're going to start with brian on this one one do you think he should come back to play for the rest of his college career if not injured and we already kind of know your stance on college players getting paid but if you want to tie any go thoughts into anyway. it go ahead <laughs> um so you started it off exactly right, Glenn. I've said it before. Um, I've actually said talks about this very thing. Before Zion got hurt, I think it was two podcasts ago, I said that he should shut it down then, that he had already done enough, that I didn't see any reason why he should be risking his future um, and injury to, to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, that was before he got injured. So absolutely, I believe that he should hang it up right now he should stop playing uh ncaa basketball you know go sign his deal go get ready go you know get ready for for the nba um which is a lot of what the the other players have been saying so i think that's what he should do what i think he will do is i think he'll be back in about a week um and he'll play just as hard as he ever has as as he ever has and and we'll we'll try and win a national championship for duke and that's that's great that's just if you're, it's a testament to the kind of person that he is. But I, I think he needs to really, really think hard about um, protecting himself, uh, managing the assets. You know, the same conversation that's going on with Anthony Davis and, and the Pelicans and why they don't want to play him is because you know he's injury prone, and if he were to get hurt, it would cost that team um, a lot of money, millions, some say billions of dollars, um, if they can't trade for the kind of assets. The same thing kind of goes true in reverse for Zion. If he were to get hurt, the person who would lose a lot—I don't think he would lose everything. I think he'd probably still get uh, become a, a lottery pick, but not the top pick—is is Zion if he had a serious injury. But of course, this leads me into what I really like to talk about, which is <laughs> players in the NCAA 
um, being taken advantage of. And and this is not me talking about Krzyzewski and Duke in particular. This is the NCAA as a whole. Um, you know, the, he can't improve. So we got that. I want to split this kind of into two different areas. And, and Jason, the re- I do that so that it'll be easier for you to come back at me um, in the two different areas. And the first is, is that, you know, the NBA is starting to admit the mistake of, of, of increasing the age limit, which created this one and done rule. Uh, it's not a coincidence that, what is it, less than 12 hours after that injury, they announced that they already put in a proposal to the NFL, uh, the NBA uh, Players Association to get approved to reduce the age down to 18 from 19. Right. And they now are saying, oh, we've been working on this for months. But it's not a coincidence that the day after Zion gets hurt, that's when they decide to announce that that, that has been in the work for months. Um, and I've, I've always we talked about this this weekend, Glenn. You know, I've always said that you should allow players to make money and get paid in the NCAA. I, I kind of formalized my idea a little bit for this conversation. And I said, first, you know, they should allow the, the, the NBA, this is the NBA side of it, should allow players to sign deals with the G League right out of high school. Six figure deals, call it about 100,000, uh, flat 100,000 for players, for any non draft eligible play on player on a, on a G League team. And they're eligible to sign shoe deals if that if that day should come. And then, you know, that's, so they, they can do that. The NBA, you know, they can then make themselves eligible for the draft either after their high school year or any of the next four years um, before they did become a free agent, basically. Right. And so what that does is if you have the NCAA acting like an idiot, a bunch of idiots and requiring um, a, a long commitment or whatever, then they can go make money, improve their craft, do what they really want to do, right? They want to play basketball. Now, I totally understand that there's an allure to the NCAA, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, so the next, uh, if, and if kids want to go to, they're more than welcome to, and I would have to, you know, there's going to be uh, an opportunity to play for someone like Coach K, um, and, and that's always going to be great, and that's always going to have its merit. But on the NCAA side, you know, NCAA side, NCAA is 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 up right up there with the NFL in my book of awful sporting organizations. But it's been doubling down on their stupidity. Um, so my idea there, and I've said this before, uh, is that the each conference should decide amongst themselves how much they want to allow a player on every team to get as a stipend. So NC State's uh, basketball team stipend is the same as Duke's and so on and so forth. You can pick where you want to play and you can make your little bit of money and you can determine what that is amongst the league and amongst your, your conference mates and, and put that number at something that you can afford to do. But that way, no kid, not the superstars like Zion and the dude at the back of the bench with the white towel um, needs to sit there and, and be worrying about money while they're playing and making billions for an organization. Um, so that's, that's the first part. If that doesn't happen, I still think that you should allow the athletes in high school to shine, sign their own shoe deal. If Zion wants to sign a shoe deal right out of high school to play to wear Nike shoes and make $100 million or make $10 million, uh, they should be allowed to. There's really no reason for that. Uh, there's no legal or legitimate reason for the NCAA to say that it can that it changes his status if he gets paid for wearing tennis shoes, paid for. And the next part is is you know um, they they can sign autographs, they can go work at a booster. I don't care if there's somebody with a used car lot that wants to hire Zion to come in there and and be there so that people want to walk in and sign autographs and they want to pay him an extra fifty grand to show up there two days a week and the the, the company can afford it. 
and Zion wants to do it, so be it. I, I use Zion, you know, because he's the hot name, but I, I believe this is for any, any player, you know, um, uh, Christian Leitner could have done it. It didn't matter who it was. Um, but they should be able to make money off of them themselves, their talents, their skill sets. Uh, the other thing is I think you should allow kids to have agents and reputation uh, representation as soon as they get out of high school, as soon as they graduate, sign them up. And that means if they go play in college, so the agent might say, your best bet to improve your draft stock for your possible future in the NBA or NFL or tennis or whatever is to go to college. And then some, some people, it'll be like, it's not, that's not going to work for you. You don't, you know, you don't, you're not going to fit in that organization. What you should do is you should go play in the G league because you're going to get different type of coaching and a different type of situation. And, you know, you're not going to have to do flashy dunks and all that kind of stuff. You just need to put it in, put up numbers and, 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 and perfect your craft. So let them get that representation. It doesn't, doesn't matter you know, what their path is. There's no reason why the NCAA should, um, should say that they can't get good, uh, you know, good uh, representation until after they get out of, out of college. All the reason, the only reason to do that is to make sure that they don't smarten up and go, Hey, this is not a good idea to be part of this NCAA organization. Um, and if the NBA, NCAA, NFL want to protect kids from shady agents, you don't have to do that by making it a clandestine still talking to agents. What you do is you acknowledge that they're going to talk to them and you make sure that they have to register that. And you make sure all, all of the respect uh, the agents have to register with all the different organizations that they're going to work with and trade with. Make that a little harder to get. I mean, Rich Paul was able to do it on a swan song to get to start clutch just because he knew LeBron. If you want, if you're worried, truly worried about the kids then make sure that you put a little bit higher standards and on what agents should have to do to, to prove themselves. Um, so the other things that I would change is if you sign up for, for playing in, in uh, the, in, 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 in the NCAAs, it's a two year commitment. Um, so, you know, you're saying that you're going to stay in the NCAAs for two years uh, before you go to the pros, or you can go to the G league and go immediately or go immediately. I'm, I'm fine with all that, but it's a two year commitment. The one exception being is if the coach leaves, the player should be able to leave. So you can go and you can, um, you know, scholarships should be guaranteed for the four or five years that you're on campus because what a lot of schools, especially in football, the NCAA allows for you to take a kid's scholarship. Um, so they come to the school, they sign up for UCLA to go play football, and there's a the new they, they need a new position for some whiz bang wide receiver. They can tell another kid that he just lost his scholarship, um, and he might be able to earn it back if he plays and walks on and all that other kind of crap. Uh, which that should not be allowed because at the same time the kid can't go to another school. He has to go you know go through all this rigmarole. Most of them end up dropping out, and they lose their their possibility of a future. So all this coming back to the whole question about Zion which is, you know, the, the situation that the NCAA, the NCAA has set up and the NBA has set up stacks itself to put Zion in a situation where he has to, out of the goodness of his heart, help them make billions of dollars, and he can't make anything, and he has to risk everything. He blows his knee, blows his Achilles. We all know that once you do some of these injuries, especially the Achilles injury, you just don't come back 100%. And he needs, he should be allowed to get his hundred million, get his, you know, get whatever deals he can and protect him and his, his health and his family for as long as he wants to before uh, he gets to the point where, uh, you know, before he gets to the point where he's in the NBA. 
So that's kind of my feelings. And Jason, I know you got plenty to say, and then I'll come back and say some more and start there. Jason, your, your thoughts on Zion, and you can go into players should be paid as well. If you uh, like. I'll just say a few things before I kick it back to Brian. But, um, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer whether Zion should come back and play or not. I think it's totally up to him. Um, I find it interesting that um, Chris Broussard said he talked to three different general managers of three different NBA teams about Zion and said he got three different answers. Said one, one uh, GM told him that he should shut it down. The other said he wants to see how Zion responds and compete, show the competitor in him. And the other one said, hey, ballers just ball. And personally, my response is in between. I want to see how Zion responds and complete, competes and ballers just ball. And also, personally, if I'm a college basketball player, I actually want to experience playing in the NCAA tournament. I just think as a kid in college, I think it would just be a lot of fun. That's real. And um, I just never remember a time where, you know, um, <laughs> basketball was, you know, as, as dangerous as football. I mean, I look at a guy like Tim Duncan. He was he could have been the number one pick in the, in the NBA draft after his sophomore year, after his junior year, but he stayed all four years. So even though, yeah, there is a risk of injury, I mean, how often does that happen? I mean, think about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving only played 11 games at Duke, had a knee and leg injury, and he was still the number one pick in the draft. So I don't think it really um, it'll hurt Zion in the long run. And plus, I also think, personally, I don't know this to be, to be factual, but I just think that Nike will overpay for Zion um, since he busted through a Nike shoe on national TV <laughs> during a National League televised game. I just think Nike is going to pay him a boatload of money for that because um, I think that's just bad press for Nike. But uh, let me start off by saying, um, personally, I don't I don't care if the NCAA you know, pays players or not. I, I really don't care. Um, I personally feel that they should just be able to come straight out of high school if an NBA team is willing to draft them. Um, the one-and-done rule, I, I think we all know, is, is just a joke. But if, if somebody's willing to draft a high school kid, I mean, hell, I mean, so be it. Just let it happen. Um, the kids should be able to go. Um, you brought up a good point, um, Brian. A lot of people think that one-and-done rule is a, is, a, is a college rule, which is which it isn't. It's an NBA rule and NBA between right. the NBA and its players' association. So happy you brought that up. Um, but one thing I want to say, though, as far as the NCAA, you have to be very careful just about changing a bunch of rules based off the talents of one individual every few years or those rare and special or generational athletes. I believe Zion went straight out of high school to the pros and got drafted by Phoenix. I don't think he'll be as good of a story. But not just Phoenix, maybe even Sacramento. You know, I always talk about Sacramento. Maybe if he went to the Kings, you know, he Ooh. wouldn't be as big of a story <laughs> as he is right gross. now. That would be It could be a problem, <laughs> though. At, at but, um, you know, I, I just think Duke actually helps Zion, Zion's branding. I've always said that college athletes, they're in a use-use relationship, you know, with, with the university. I think, um, you know, a lot of guys get overdrafted based on the talent they play with in college where they're really not that good. And then some guys like Zion, I mean, you feel that you don't have, he doesn't have to go to college. So it's um, maybe uh, I think that Zion is actually using Duke because I think him benefiting off his name and likeness, I think having Duke across his chest helps that. I think if he went straight out of high school, like I said, I don't think he'll be that big of a story. I think playing at Duke actually helps him. Um, talking, um, you know, this, of course, let's talk about changing rules only ignited when Zion Williams busted through his Nike shoe and suffered an injury that I don't believe will keep him out long. And I know that the culture in today's basketball is, you know, spot the talent and rush to get him paid, but I just remember a time where some of the greatest players ever to play, you know, we grew up watching, you know, they stay, you know, three or four years. But it wasn't, I understand, it's not until the TV contracts increased and the relevance of social media that there's a narrative that, you know, going to college or playing college sports has absolutely no value, which I don't necessarily believe to be true. But I think 
like I said, in Zion's case, I don't think it changes his money or his draft status. I believe he has an $8 million insurance policy if he doesn't go pro or if he doesn't play in the NBA or whatever, so he won't be broke. But like I said, I think <laughs> Zion is just a big, strong kid. So, um, you know, he'll be all right. Um, I just For college, I just, I just remember a time where college was supposed to be fun. And, you know, you grow up, you mature, you develop your game, you learn how to be an adult, you deal with people. I just don't believe college is, is just this big detriment. I mean, with so many young guys leaving, it's, it's the reason why the NBA has a leadership problem because, you know, you got guys that you know, they're not evolving their games, they're not, you know, developing their games, they're just rushing to get paid, which I understand. If somebody's going to offer you the money, I mean, take it. I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, deny anyone, you know, that opportunity or talk bad about anyone taking that opportunity. But at the same time, when people are quoting people like Boogie Cousins to back up their argument why Zion shouldn't play, I believe there's a problem because when he's the voice of reason. DeMarcus Cousins, I don't know if you know Boogie Cousins, he had an interview. He played in college, and he said, you know, pretty much college is BS, and he wouldn't have Zion play. But in the same interview, he also said he loved his experience at Kentucky, and it was one of the best times of his life. So he's willing to deny that same experience that he had for Zion, which I don't believe you know, is right. So, like I said, there's not a right or wrong answer whether Zion plays. I would like to see him play, and maybe it's selfish of me, but I would like to see him play. I know I would, but I also know others that wouldn't. I don't believe there's a right or wrong answer. Um, I would love to see Duke in the NCAA tournament and have, you know, experience that competition and the intensity of the NCAA, NCAA tournament. Um, so, I know those are just my initial thoughts. I'll, I'll go back after you finish. Okay. Um, well, so, in all fairness, R.J. Barrett was the person who was expected to be the top pick in the draft next year when they yep. both went to Duke. It wasn't it wasn't Zion. Zion has actually played himself into the top spot. Um, yep. Now, that said, if so, if, if, if they both went into the pros last year, R.J. Barrett probably goes one. I think Zion was either two or three. There was another um, individual whose name I can't remember at the moment who was also in, in, amongst the top four or five and, and some thought number two pick. So I don't think there's a denying that going to Duke has helped Zion. I mean, he played exceptionally well and has made quite a name for himself. Um, But that's, I think, kind of independent of the the question of what he should do now. Um, I think, like I said, the moment he got to the point where it was very, very obvious, he was the, the clear number one. Um, that he should have shut it down. And, you know, Leonard Fournette did the same thing, right? And it's becoming a lot more common in bowl, for bowl games because it's useless games. The difference between bowl games, which everyone recognizes are mostly useless, is that the NCAA tournament's really exciting. And uh, there's it's, a lot, it's pretty interesting. People get into it. I know I do. Um, and so that's why a lot of people, you know, kind of look at it differently. Um, but and you mentioned the three, the three GMs and their, their different points of view. Um, I can totally see all three different those points of view being very, very uh, applicable, and and you know that's what they feel. But I, I'm what I didn't hear was where would they draft him, I, and I, I'm willing to bet there's not a single GM at this point in time who would not draft Zion number one. And so playing at, from this point forward doesn't get him anything else. Yeah, right? to answer so your question, his, they all. To, I'm sorry to answer your question. They all would draft him number one. They all would. Okay. And so the top spot, I believe you get something like 40, 45 million in guaranteed money over the course of what, five years with the options and everything else, right? In the top spot, I think it's like like 17, 18, um, 
well, it escalates from like 12 to 17, 18, um, comes out to somewhere in the $40 million in guaranteed money. So that $8 million uh, insurance policy, uh, that's a pretty big loss. That's a pretty big hit. Uh, so, you know, there is something to be lost. And, and going back to what you were talking about with Boogie Cousins, um, you know, he's an interesting character. But I think what he would have tried, was trying to say is that he had an amazing time. You can see Zion has an amazing time every time he goes out on the court. You can see he really likes his teammates. You can see he really likes the school. You can see he really likes playing basketball. You can just see that about him, right? But if someone walked up to him and said, hey, you can have these next 15 games, 10, 15 games, depending on how long your season's going to go, right? Or you can have $40 million. There isn't a single person that I know and I, I believe this that would say, oh, what I really, I really love the game a whole lot, and I really want this experience, and I want to be there for my teammates, so you can keep your forty million. You know, that's that's the difference, right? You get to a point. It's not about. It, I don't think it's about saying that the college experience is bad or there's a problem with it, or for the kids that go over there and have a good time. But what they risk, and there's been plenty, plenty, plenty of athletes. Uh, unfortunately, not ones I could name. I didn't. I didn't think to look up a few of them, but I know that we've. I've seen this sad story um, uh, play out. I'm trying to think of the, the the kid who just destroyed his ankle falling in the NCAA tournament, um, uh, and then came back the, the following year. But then, basically, I think he's playing in Greece now. From Louisville, but anyway. It, it was it was it Louisville? I thought it was Kentucky, but same same general yeah, principle. Kevin Sun was um, one of them. Yes, it was yes, From and, uh, and it, he, uh, he, you know, he, he lost his career over an injury in the NCAA tournaments. Now he wasn't Zion at the Zion level, right. but it was meaningful money that that he lost as a uh, due to an injury um, playing in a sport where he was giving all the risk, giving up all the blood, and and they got all the profits. Um, it, it, you mentioned kind of the the old older period you know we go back you see people who had they all stayed for four years well that was because you had to back then first of all the the idea of 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 the idea that you would even think about going out of college before um, your time was up i mean they were getting sixty seventy thousand dollars any attorney or any any professional basically was making more than basketball players now that they make huge massive sums of money um it's a different proposition and then you also had you know you also had um you didn't get to play. Going back, how far you way to go back? You could get to the point where you have Kareem. They weren't even allowed to play their freshman year, so they couldn't have done one and done. Uh, you know, Kareem took the, the the freshman team and beat the varsity team, which is always the lore of UCLA, right? Because he wasn't even allowed to play. And and, and, and so times have definitely changed. Um, and there's a you know there's a reason why that didn't work. And there was still what there was. Uh, um, Dawkins, I think, came straight out. Uh, and there was another one, Moses Malone. Moses Malone. Yeah, there's there a few, but yeah. but because of the value proposition of doing that, it wasn't something that was was really considered. Um, and then you think about these one and done players like Zion, R.J. Barrett. You know, half the the Duke starters, or I should say, all all but one of the Duke starters, I think, are pretty much guaranteed to go into the draft this year. Um, so every single one of them came into school knowing they were one and done. Shashevsky knew that they were one and done. Um, you know, then this happens for Kansas and Kentucky and Louisville and a bunch of other kids at UCLA. It happens all over the place. Those kids that are going in there, the, the Zions of the world, 
they have to get through one semester of school. And we all know what your first semester freshman year of college was like. It was joke classes. It was high school. Underwater basket weaving. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. It's, it's history 101. It's math, you know, 101, which is either algebra or pre-calc or some silly crap like that. It's, it's English literature. It's there's ridiculously basic classes that all he has to do is maintain a C. And it's, and it's you know, hey, let's just get you on campus so that you – and this is for all kids, not just the, the, the basketball players. Um, it's, let's get you on campus and get you acclimated to being away from your family and, and different life. And then we're going to hit you with the real studying – in your second and third and uh, so third years, right? So he's got to get through that semester. So he's not really getting much of the college, the real college experience. And then he doesn't have to do anything second semester because by the time grades hit, he's already gone. If he flies back right. to Duke after the NCAA tournament, whenever they're out, it's only because he wants to get his stuff out of his locker and out of his dorm room. It's not because <laughs> it's not because he's going back there to go into a classroom. Right. Um, and that's and that's pretty typical, right? You know, these one and done kids. So you know, it's it's not that they're going to get their education. Some of them go back, and, and more power to them. And I right. think that the schools that recruited them and they did one and done should honor that that uh, that uh, um, scholarship, even if they're making a hundred million dollars at that point in time. You know, whether they're making a hundred million dollars or they're they played in the Greek league making sixty five thousand dollars, they should be able to come back and get their degree at that institution for free. Um, because of the, the what they've done for that institution, so you know, I just I completely agree he should do whatever the hell he wants to do. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I, as I said earlier, I wholeheartedly believe that that Zion is going to play. Um, you can see it just in how much passion he seems to have for for the for for Duke, for his teammates, for the game. Um, that does not make it a smart business decision. Uh, if he were able to get kind of representation, as I was talking about earlier, I guarantee you that um, he would uh, his agents would be like, "Hey, you can't risk this, man. This is too much money." Uh, you know, you, the difference between him being the number, being healthy, being the top pick, getting signed to a huge deal by Nike is what 100, 150 million. If you take all that in, all the endorsements, all that in, going down to Let's say let's say he got hurt, he'd still be a lottery pick, probably. Yeah. Um, he'd still get a deal, you know, with probably with Nike, Adidas, whoever he wants to, New Balance, whoever whoever he wants to sign with, and it would still be substantial. Um, but it wouldn't be as substantial because then there'd be a question mark about him. And I always said if Eddie Curry can get drafted in the top three, man, uh, I think Zion, uh, <laughs> he, yeah. he he'll be all right. Yeah, well, but you also have a loaded draft. I mean, you know, we were R.J. Barrett's going to be there, right? You're, he's going to, you know, he'll fall four or five or six or seven or eight spots, whatever it happens to be. Um, but you know, he, he would still, he, he's fortunate enough to make some some money. But it's a lot, of, it's a big loss. Um, I do think that the way we solve that problem is if Zion, who absolutely would have gotten, just on YouTube lore, would have gotten signed by Nike the minute he graduated from high school, if he could have been, so if you have a guy like a Zion who signs with Nike, let's say for, I don't know, they, they've given $10 million for the year or $5 million for the year and it, with, a, with an option to sign a new contract with him when he goes into the NBA, and now he's got real money, now he has to play for Duke because it's marketing. That's his job. His job is to play to make sure that Nike can make money and he can't do that on the sidelines. right? So now he, he, we know he's going to play. We know he's going to come back when he can. 
so he can earn his 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 money. And and everybody gets what they want. You know, Duke gets their player. The NCAA gets their their their, their racehorse to to, to you know, show pony for the NCAA tournament. Zion gets his money and and some financial protection should anything go wrong or get hurt. You know, I, I just there's just no good reason against it, in my opinion, why they can't sign autographs, do whatever the hell they want to do, um, make money off of it. And one other thing that I didn't I didn't talk about earlier is I, I you know, I hate trying to bring in the racial stuff, but this one topic I really feel is racial. And and the reason for that is is I think the two big sports we talk about in the NCAA are are football and basketball. And the athletes who perform in those those two areas are predominantly people of color. Um, now, people always say, "Oh, kids shouldn't be doing, you know, shouldn't be allowed to make that kind of money because you know it's not right." Blah blah blah. But then you look at child actors who are basically doing the exact same thing. They're they're they're, they're working and they're doing their craft, and they're allowed to sign tens of millions of dollars of deals, the Olsen twins and, uh, you know, the, the, the Kardashians and, you know, all these other people, there's nobody out there. They can go to school. They can go to college. They can go, yep. you know, they can do whatever they want. They, they can actually get, um, there was a child actor, female who just took a break from acting to go to Yale on a scholarship. So paid entire youth growing up, Right. Went to school on a scholarship, not that she needed the money, but got a scholarship, went back to no problem. And the difference between that is, is one, you're talking about athletes and people who are majority uh, uh, people of color versus actors, child actors, which are not predominantly people of color. Um, I, I think there's just this kind of a mentality that they just don't want to see young people of color with that much money that soon. Uh, and and they need to get their pound of flesh from them before they can before they they allow that to happen. And I think it's unfortunate, but I definitely see that trend. If you think of anything where young people can be part of it, if it's something that's predominantly not people of color, they're allowed to make a profit. It doesn't impact their their amateur ability. Um, and college baseball say, too, right? Yeah, baseball kids uh, kids can sign deals. Um, perfect. Kyler Murray is a perfect example of this. I mean, on the same side, baseball being a sport that person of is, color, but it's the principle. yeah. But baseball yeah. being a sport that that has that that doesn't have that aura that football and and, and the uh, and basketball does. But he was able to sign a deal. He's got to pay back. I think it's like a million dollars um, in, in from the signing bonus if he decides not to stay with Oakland today. Oakland said that they were going to try and sign him anyway. But the point is, he's got to give like a million dollars, which means he had a million dollars. Um, the yeah. other one is, um, this one was, was the, the kid in the Olympics. He, uh, his name was Jeremy something rather. He signed a baseball contract, wanted to ski for Colorado as well, and then went to the Olympics. So he was able to get money. He was able to do two sports, both uh, skiing <laughs> and baseball for Colorado. And go pro. Was able to, yeah, able to play in the Olympics and, and then went pro. All of that was allowed. I, you know. I'll, the punchline being that obviously this, this athlete was was uh, not a person of color, right? So I, I just I think the NCAA is just an awful organization that looks for ways to screw people, and I think that the reason why on um, this one they're they're not too quick to change their rules and change their stance about the students making money. There's plenty of issues. Some of it's just greed, but I also think it has to do with uh, with with race. Interesting.
Back to you, Jason. Jason, you got anything yeah, on that before we slide? Yeah, no, I'll just um, say a few more things. Um, well, um, well, I understand what you were saying earlier about how um, all these guys are speaking up for Zion. I, I guess they're looking at it like, you know, he's the number one pick in the draft. Why would you risk that, you know, and by playing college basketball, which, uh, which I, I totally get. I understand that. Um, but there's a narrative out there that, you know, these kids need to get paid off their, their likeness and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, they can. They don't have to go to Duke or North Carolina. They could play in the G League or they could play overseas. You can benefit from your name and likeness by just skipping college altogether. And once you're in college, there's no rule that says you have to actually stay in college. You can leave and drop out whenever you, you know, whenever you want. But uh, going back to the G League and overseas, I mean, the thing is, you can you can still get a shoe deal and have amazing dunks. But the problem is, you we won't see them because those games most likely won't be televised. And if they are, they're probably televised in local areas. And I don't know too many people that watch G League or overseas games. Well, but, but I'll say this real quickly: it wasn't until recently that high school players could sign up in the G League. And the other thing is, is if Zion were playing the G League, their ratings would be off the hook. Uh, Think so? Go back straight out of high school. I don't know. Yeah, if, if you take that Duke team. All those all those kids decided they wanted to play together, and you put them on the same G League team. I, I just don't. Yeah, I just I think the names. The I think Zion's high school, but Zion's high school videos got a million. Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, I see those South Carolina. Yeah, but I, you know, like I said, I still can't a, see a South Carolina basketball player getting a million views. I mean, people were going to watch Zion wherever Zion went, and if not them, ESPN would have been putting out there, they you know, have. just because he's he's a hype machine, right? There, there are some players who are just that dynamic. RJ Barrett, yeah. had he decided not to go to Duke and went to the G League, probably not getting as much hype because he's an outstanding basketball player who shoots threes and does all that stuff, but he looks like a normal basketball player. He's not doing highlight dunks all the time. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with you most of the time. I think Zion is just kind of unique in that regard because yeah. he's such a hype machine. Cool, go uh, I, just, I just think the names, the coaches, the arenas, the atmosphere, the feel of the game, just the fun. I just think, you know, playing in college would be better for him than, than playing in the G League. I just think more people would see it. But also, um, you know, um, when the, I'm sure the NBA is going to um, – lower the age requirement or just say you can come straight out of high school, whatever. But um, when they do, the NCAA definitely will not compensate for name and likeness or pay players when that happens because they're just going to be like, hey, you can go pro if you want to become the college. That's on you. Um, um, but the thing is, because you're allowed to – actually, no, I'll just go to a different point. Shoe deals aren't guaranteed. They can actually pull – your shoe deal whenever you get a chance. So that's not guaranteed money. So I know you've said a scenario that they can have a shoe deal while in college. Well, you can get hurt in college and they can just revoke your shoe deal. That's I not actually true. No, the shoe deals aren't guaranteed. They probably they are the money. No, no. But it's not shoe deals guaranteed. are guaranteed. It's a contract. They are guaranteed. They usually put certain clauses in there. None of them are based off of injury. Most of them are based off of doing quote unquote I'm quote unquote immoral right. acts. Right. Or, right. But it's not it's not injury. They can't pull them for injury. Well but I'm saying they're not fully guaranteed. They can revoke them. They can revoke based on sales. I think that's why Shaq got his revoked, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's but that was because he but... put a clause in there. Shaq so Shaq's shoe deal was actually pretty unique. And and the reason it was unique more power to Shaq is because he really wanted to market to the target group, right? And so he actually put in his deal 
um, that he wanted them to make sure that they were less expensive and make sure that they were um, marketing to, I think it was Tar- Target and Walmarts, and you know that's where he wanted them sold. And because the uh, Nikes of the world, who is it that, it, that actually manufactured it? Was it was Reebok, Reebok. I think he had. Yeah, I think he had it was Reebok. Reebok. Yeah. Um, they actually put that clause in there to protect them. But that was a unique clause that Shaq agreed to it was because of the, the the difference of what he wanted to do, but like let's use the Derrick Rose shoe deal. Nothing revocable about that. Uh, Derrick Rose's shoe deal was you know, when he got hurt the third, fifth, twelfth, fifteenth time. They couldn't. They can't do anything with it because of that. Now the minute one of them go and do, um, I'll use Kaepernick. Kaepernick's uh, shoe deal actually could have been revoked. Um, I, be, I think they actually did. I think I think he actually did, and then went with Nike, but um, could be revoked because they found that act to be detrimental to the organization. So getting hurt wouldn't have been enough for from the takeaway from Zion. Cool, go ahead. From a contract standpoint, uh, and and one more thing, um, Norlands Noel tore, tore his ACL in college and was a top five pick. He's terrible. So I think <laughs> if uh, I think Zion will just be okay, I, I, I think Zion will be all right. I think he'll get all of his money, his massive shoe deal, and continue his NBA career. I just wanted to learn how to shoot, but I'm not sure if you guys actually um, watched Zion play. Uh, I've watched him play maybe a couple games or whatever, but I think maybe three. And uh, one thing I like about him is that he moves really well without the ball. He can get 20 mm-hmm. points by moving well. He doesn't have to always have the ball in his hands, and that's a, spare, a special and rare and unique talent. The last person, I think the person who was best at it was Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen averaged 26 and a half points a game one year, and he's very good at moving without the ball, cutting and things like that. And I really like Clay that Thompson. Yeah. Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, too. Clay Thompson shot like 30-something points and had three dribbles or four dribbles. Yeah. Like that. But yeah. yeah, I completely wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, Zion has a very, very complete game. Yep. Um, and talent-wise, you know, he can – I think shoot the three a little bit better. I think Duke is just awful altogether at shooting the three, but um, but yeah, he's he's an extraordinarily ba- extraordinary basketball player. I've been watching him. Um, like I said, I always follow high school basketball because of uh, C.R. Kane and Marvin Bagley, so on and so forth. So I've been watching those games and following for for quite some time. And, and the design is, I thought I actually thought he was going to be more of just a dunk guy, but um, he's. He's better than I ever thought he was going to be. I'm going to say that. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so um, and that's why I said selfishly, I would like to see him play in the NCAA. Me tournament. too. That, that's why I said. Yeah, that. Hey, I, we're all getting together in four weeks. I, I, it would hurt my heart to not be able to see him play. I just, <laughs> yes. if, if, if for whatever reason he came out tomorrow and said, "Hey, I'm hanging him up," I totally understand. Yeah, I want to see him play for sure. You brought up a good point though, Jason. Like the idea of the the competition and playing in the tournament. That actually is a good point. I didn't even think about. So, well played there. All right. Uh, we keep it pushing just because uh, we're already yeah. at an hour. Or so uh, the next topic, Jim Be- Jim Beheim, coach of Syracuse, um, caught in he actually well and, and completely accidentally um, hit a person and killed them. Um, unfortunately, rest in peace to that person. They were on the side of the road, from what I understand. I think they had a car break down or something, and he um, didn't see them hit them. Completely reacted as you'd hope, you know, someone in that situation would stop, try to render aid, try to stop other cars from striking the person, um, you know, wasn't wasn't shying from it. No alcohol in the system, nothing like that. Just, you know, an infor- unfortunate story, but also a as part of this kind of WTF week, um, and, uh, another sports story that came in that wasn't so much about sports, but um, more so kind of just the situation. So I don't know if you guys had any quick thoughts on that, um, Jason. 
Yeah, I just thought that was just sad and unfortunate. Um, I don't believe that Beheim is going to do any jail time or no. render them, um, I guess, at fault. Uh, what happened? But um, I didn't read. To be honest with you, I didn't read too much in the story. I just read the headline, which is always dangerous because you're not getting the full story. <laughs> right. But I just thought it was it's just pretty, you know, sad and unfortunate. Definitely, Brian. Yeah, I read. I I, I did read the whole story and and looked. And you know, it is truly unfortunate. It sounds like uh, Jim Beheim has done everything the right way in this instance, and um, you know, has tried to help the family when they're dealing with a lot of hard stuff. Um, well, I respect for for someone handling things the the right way, and and you know every single there was they they made a point of saying that his blood alcohol level was zero point zero zero. Um, you know this was this was truly just an accident. Uh, it took a man's life. Uh, rest in peace to him. Yeah, um, definitely. And uh, thoughts with the family. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, nothing else to say there. Yeah. Um, so uh, rest in peace there. Not you know always given give an honor to the dead in that situation, but we're going to slide to the next topic. Um, recently, there's been a lot of kind of hoopla in hoops, if you will, about the referees. Always, always, always hoopla about referees in the NBA, but with Tim Donahue, um, the referee who was accused of fixing games, um, probably early 2000s, I believe it was, and actually was under investigation and did did two years of jail time, I believe. Um, based on his involvement in gambling on games that he refereed. They couldn't necessarily prove that he fixed games, but um, independent reports have shown based on the calls he made that he could have uh, influenced those games to cover his spreads. Uh, Comes out and speaks about Scott Foster. Is that the referee's name? Well, he hasn't come out and talked about Scott Foster. Um, Scott Foster is... uh, I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about how that that, that connection gets made, but um, yeah, go ahead. Babe. Scott go ahead. Foster recently he, he got popular again because of Houston, Chris Paul and and uh, Harden hate him and yada yada yada. They 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 came out and said that they don't think he should be refing and is unreasonable and so on and so forth. So, anyways, on on the NBA refs, um, getting getting into it, you had the reason why we why I brought this topic up or I thought it would be a pretty good topic was that ESPN recently did a report and I thought the report was really compelling and it talks about how um Donahue only got convicted about uh, for for betting on the games he was refereeing not throwing games not fixing games they the FBI um, said that the uh, and the NBA said that they couldn't prove that he was fixing games he was just betting quote unquote overs and unders on games that he was refereeing um, ESPN did a, a in-depth re- investigative report and came back and said, it seems pretty obvious that he was fixing these games um, and that the FBI, when they questioned them, came back and said, look, the NBA definitely put a lot of pressure on us to get this, this uh, wrapped up quickly. We really didn't do an, a full investigation, but even the people inside the FBI who were working on that investigation were pretty convinced that uh, Donahue was... Uh, was was fixing games. I, so, anyways, I found that report extremely compelling because when they were talking about this a few years ago, and they said, "Oh, he wasn't fixing games," I called BS in a heartbeat. You cannot tell me that the way the way that they were really using this was that they knew how Donahue was refing games, and so what they were doing, what, according to Donahue, Donahue would tell them which games he got assigned to before 
everybody else knew so that the gamblers could make the bets before the lines adjusted and that he wasn't fixing the games. All he was doing while they were doing was using the analytics of how he usually called fouls and how his games usually went to try and determine what the best one was. And they were using, it was all analytics. Now that's all BS, man. You could have done that exact same thing about every single ref at that point in time. Any you could have gone and said, I'm going to go look at what XYZ ref does. He calls this many fouls against Harden. The minute the, the, the reportings come out, you can you know take it, put it in your system, get the answers, go bet it in Vegas. So the only reason to have one ref in the league who you get all this information, extra information is so you can bet the games, not so you can bet overs and unders. So he was almost certainly fixing games. Um, the reason why... This, these two topics kind of tied in is that a couple of days ago, uh, Scott Foster's name got put in the press because Harden and Chris Paul have been talking a lot about how um, they don't like him. They think he's unreasonable, so on and so forth. And I remembered from years ago that Scott Foster's name got caught in the Donahue reports. And so I went back and I looked it up. And so this is this is this is kind of me doing my own little investigative reporting. So, first of all, Donahue. When Donahue was being investigated, they wanted to see how far it went. Scott Foster was the only person that they went into doing a deep dive uh, to see if he was also doing part of this. Of all the refs in the NBA at that point in time, Scott Foster and Donahue talked on the phone 134 times during that, I think it's like 18-month period. He didn't talk to any other ref, any other ref, more than 13 times. All the calls to the other refs were made with his personal cell phone. Donahue kept a second burner phone that he did, obviously, that nobody would ever find out about, that he did all of his gambling talk. Of that 134 calls, the vast majority of them were made on the burner phone, not the personal phone. Okay? So you tell me what you think if, if you're using the burner phone to call the call to do. They took another look. It was... 54 of those 134 calls were made both either made either immediately before the game or immediately after the game, right? So he calls them right before and right after the game. He calls Scott Foster, his good old buddy, to let him know, hey, they were mean to me. They were nice to me. I, I call BS. They, the FBI had a, a timeline. And so this, I just picked one because I thought this one was a pretty good one. And this is for December 30th, 2006. 10.34 a.m., Donahue calls Foster. 10.35, Donahue calls another referee. 10.36, Donahue, Donahue calls Martino, the middleman between him and the bookie, who was working on it. 10.39, Donahue calls Foster again. 5.15, Donahue calls Martino. 5.23, Donahue, uh, Donahue calls Martino again. 7 p.m., Donahue referee, referees a game between the Miami Heat and the Orlando Magic. The Magic win in a route, 97-68. Foster referees at uh, 8 p.m. Foster referees a game between the Toronto, uh, between the Toronto Raptors and the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis. The Grizzlies win 110-104. Foster and Donahue speak 12 minutes after the game. 11.27 p.m., Foster and Donahue speak for, for the fourth time that same day. 11.38 p.m., Foster and Donahue speak for the fifth time of that same day. The records also show that Donahue was making several calls to Foster on the days of the games, generally for no more than two minutes. That's one day's timeline. There are hey, maybe they're good friends. Maybe they're good friends. Maybe. Okay. And it, there's, <laughs> so no. Let's now let's use the good friend theory. The only reason they were talking about his friend, he just, he just had to call his buddy. He had to call him before. 
go back to your go back to the 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 the, the, the Chicago Black Sox as they like to be called, eight men out, right? You can't tell me that Scott Foster, given those calls on that phone on that timeline, talking 134 times, and he did not know what was going on. He should not be in this league, man. It should not be in this league. It is fairly obvious to me when you put all of that together. And this is this is all stuff that wasn't in the ESPN report. This was me looking back through articles from uh, the period of time that had some of the, the things that the FBI had found and when they were trying to dig into Scott Foster. Because at the time, everyone thought Scott Foster was going to get nabbed. And then the report came out, oh, it was just Donahue, and we're going to do this, and he's going to plead to two years, and everything's going to go away. Donahue took a fall for, for, for Scott Foster, but it's pretty obvious to me Scott Foster was doing some shady stuff back then. So that does not mean that I think that, that Scott Foster um, called bad fouls uh, against against Harden because I thought every foul call that he made in that game was legitimate and I didn't see any problem with it. But if you're a player and you have a problem with Scott Foster, I get it. I understand. That's, that's all I'm going to say. So, uh, Jason, I don't know if you had any thoughts on any of that. Uh, Especially considering that you are a ref. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to uh, add too much to it. But um, I, but first of all, I think people should know any game with a point spread can be fixed. So, you know, there's dozens of games every day with point spreads, college, pro, whatever. Any game with a point spread can be fixed. Not saying that it happens all the time, but there's a possibility. Um, and these a lot of times, a lot of people understand. They always say, you know, I hear a lot of people say Vegas is in on it. Well, Vegas is the ones who all are the ones who always investigates and tells the league that it's possible point shaving or some investigation that should take place by the league because they're the ones monitoring all this stuff. Vegas isn't benefiting when games are being, um, I guess, there's point shaving or scandals going on like that. They don't benefit because they want the lines to be right and they want betting action on both sides so they don't want any games to be fixed and they're the ones that usually find out this stuff so people have this narrative that vegas is making millions of dollars on this point statement stuff and they're not they're the ones that tell it that's telling the college they're telling the pros hey you need to talk to this guy you need to investigate this game blah 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 mm-hmm. um, now, I'll, now i'm not saying that you can't fix games in the nba i'm not saying that but it's hard to fix a game in the nba because there are three reps in the game and if you're going to fix a game, it's best to get the other reps involved as well because in the NBA, you can't call things out of your area. And I guess that's ref talk, but what I mean by out of your area is if you're on the baseline and you're responsible for you know looking inside the key, you can't – if somebody shoots a three-point shot and you want to think they got fouled, you can't call that because you're on the baseline. You don't do that in the NBA. So – you're only allowed to make certain calls in your area as an NBA ref. So that's why if you're going to fix a game, it's best probably to get another guy involved or maybe there might be a lot of action in your area that game and you just start calling a bunch of BS fouls. I don't know, but it's it's, it's very hard being that there are three refs in the game and that the best NBA refs make the Jason, 500. Mm-hmm, go ahead. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I I don't. I never can subscribe to the theory that people would call BS calls. But I think you know that you can call certain things pretty close all the way down, right? All, all, all the time. Yeah. So you yeah, can, yeah, yeah. You, you know, there's there's contact. You can call it a charge instead of a block when it's kind of a 50-50 call. Yeah. Or you can, you know, you can call the travels, which there are well, oodles well, of them well, in the NBA. Well, so well what I mean by BS calls is like, for like somebody's driving down the lane and there's slight contact. I mean, just very slight. The same kind of contact that's going to happen all through the game. And you call that a foul because when I first read this whole little thing, he was trying to make the games go over the total, which means, you know, more free throws, attempts, and, you know, they make the free throws, score more points, blah, blah, blah. 
and then only go over the total, and you know him and his guys will win or whatever. So that's what I mean by BS. That's that's an example of a BS call. Slight contact going to the basket, and you call a foul. Maybe there's continuation, and he makes the shot, and you know he goes to the line for you know a three point play opportunity. That's what that's sort of what I mean by BS. There's just some stuff that happens during the game that's going to happen all game. Whereas a referee, you should not call because you'd be blowing your whistle all the time. And I, and I know that um. I think I guess he refereed the Kings Lakers series back in 2002. I think a lot of people like to point that out. But number one, NBA refs don't ref every single game of a series. And that was Dick Bavetta. Number two, and, and, and yeah, and number two, no, they put Bavetta in there when they wanted when they wanted the win. He, he was he was <laughs> in our game. Embarrassing. It was like game sevens. If you they had always put Bavetta in there, and it wasn't. I, I think the conspiracy wasn't that they thought Bavetta was going to throw the game or whatever. It was just that they knew Bavetta's style played uh, played a certain way. He refed that but Kings game, game from seven. what I understand. But go ahead, okay, Jason. But the, the, but the thing is, number one, that uh, that series was officiated horribly. The entire series. It wasn't just one game. I mean, it was horrible throughout the series. And number two, that game seven, the Kings had more free-throw attempts than the Lakers, and they had more fouls calling their favorite. They just didn't hit them. They were 13 for 26 from the free-throw line. They should have won that game. And they remember, remember those air balls that Pedro Stoyakovich and Doug Christie shot towards the end of the game, like less than two minutes ago? They blew that game. So I don't think there was any fixing going on because Sacramento should have won that game in Game 7, and they blew it. They pulled the Warriors. They blew a Game 7 at home in the playoffs. So, I, I mean, so like I said, I don't – I, like I said, fixing can happen at any point spread game. Um, you know, Scott Foster is still refing, uh, so when players still hate him, I'm not sure if he's still doing the same things, you know, as he was doing before. Maybe he's smartened up. I don't know. Yeah, I but doubt I he's think, still doing it, but but yeah, the stuff that I saw make it make makes it pretty clear to me. Yeah, that, that dude was yeah, not denying that. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't I, know. I love both of you. We do not talk 134 times. You are, you two are, I talk to you and Glenn more than I talk to almost anyone who's not my wife and family, and we do not talk 134 times. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. You will lose a friend if you call me that many times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Off top. Right. Word up. All right, guys, so let's um, let's keep it moving. Just your couple quick thoughts on kind of the state of the Lakers as we do every week. Um, Jason, you start this one. Just Just some quick hitters. I mean, we kind of know where we are, and we gonna, we going to bring back next week or our next podcast anyway. So kind of where where you at? What do you think? Um, just your, your quick thoughts on the Lake Show. You want to know where I'm at? We suck. That's where I'm at. Okay. We are there. We don't play any defense. And now I'm, I'm, I'm ready to walk back my comment that we're going to make the playoffs because it's not looking good right now. We just lost the day to Memphis. I don't want to no make the playoffs. Play for Memphis anymore. But uh, but yeah, I, you know this whole. I think this whole thing centers around um, well, it's two things. Number one, I think it's the culture of the Lakers. I think LeBron alluded to it. I don't like the way he did it. I'm, and I'm I actually don't like his interview when he said it. But um, he pretty much said that you know it's, it's acceptable to lose you know around here, and he's just not used to that. I personally don't like that he came out said and said that in public. Or rather, that's you know more like a behind closed doors thing you talk to your teammates about, and he used a lot of and he pretty much used the reference you know them and me, them and me, which I don't like as well. But that also just lets me know that LeBron just hasn't bought in you know to these guys. I mean, if you know anything about LeBron, he likes to play with veterans. He doesn't like or maybe uber special special talented you know young guys, which you know we don't have on this team. He doesn't respect the guys we have on this team. 
And the veterans we have, you know, most of them are knuck some of them are knuckleheads and are one year deals and he doesn't relate to them and they probably won't, you know, be on the team next year, you know, anyway. Um, but the one thing I can say about the Lakers is the defense is terrible, and, and that's on LeBron as well. They're just terrible. And and, we're, and plus we can't, we still can't shoot, which we pretty much knew that would be the problem, you know, beginning of the season. They're 28th in three-point shooting and 29th in three-point percentage, which is terrible. You have to be able to shoot uh, in this league. And, and, you know, and Chris Mannix, he brought up a good point. If you are a Laker player other than LeBron, what equity do you have, you know, on the team and in the locker room? Because half the team is on one-year deals. You would think that everybody's just playing for themselves because they don't know the future. Right. The only person that's actually guaranteed to be on this team next year is LeBron. So, you know, but on the flip side of that, I think when we – I always said that that Kobe contract they signed for the last two years was, was absolutely dumb. Because if they the Lakers didn't have the mindset they didn't care about winning. It's just you know come see Kobe you know ride off into the sunset while we were just you know losing a bunch of games. And I think that mentality story is just you know still carried over. And like I always say, the word the, the the hardest thing to change in the organization is the culture. And I think we had a losing culture, and we have to sort of you know kind of repair it. And LeBron is not helping it right now mainly because he doesn't like Walton. He wants Walton gone, and he just doesn't like his teammates. So. I don't like how this looks, you know, for the near future as far as a, as a playoff spot. Now, maybe something will change and we might be, you know, might make the playoffs. But as of right now, this team just isn't playing well. And uh, LeBron doesn't seem like he's engaged or connected to his teammates. And when your team leader is not engaged or connected to your teammates, it, that's a recipe for uh, not a good season. Fair enough. Brian? So... I, I, like I said, I knew they weren't going to make the playoffs. And I, this is one of the things that I was talking about being worried about is that LeBron has been so poisonous to the team um, with what he did and how he orchestrated the, the trade stuff. And what you said is exactly right. There is nobody who has any equity in the future of this organization because the young players know that they're about to get shipped out. And the uh, the old the, the veterans who are around all know they're on one-year deals and they all have to get released in order for them to be able to sign their max free agents. But Take that, and then you add. LeBron has sucked the last few games. You know, I he, he sat there and he missed his rotation, and then looked at everybody else and said, "Why didn't somebody go get my guy?" Why he sat in the middle of the key, guarding absolutely no one, trying to get an illegal defense. You know, tonight we had Kyle Kuzma nine for fifteen, two for five from three point range. That's that's pretty good, twenty two points. Right, Brandon Ingram, twelve for eighteen, three for three from three point range, thirty two points. That, that's pretty good. You know, Javale McGee, three for eight, good. Uh, Reggie Bullock, five for eleven, four for nine from three, good, fourteen points. Guess what? LeBron James, eight for twenty three, oh for four, and you know, for twenty four points. But did you say looking... Westbrook and a triple double? You said no, Westbrook. I'm talking... Oh, okay. Uh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, but you're, you're making the point. It's LeBron. Like LeBron wants it. LeBron's doing this little magic show where he's like, "Oh, you know, I got a triple double tonight." You know, everybody else needs to do what they need to do. And you look at it, and all he did was chuck a whole bunch of bricks up and build a house. And he wants to point at everybody else and say, "You know, these young guys, if they're getting distracted by all the talk, they're not getting distracted. They're playing basketball, playing damn good basketball too." Ingram has played exceptionally well since they came back from the break and since the whole trade thing got uh, finally passed up. And, you know, most people don't like Ingram as much as I do. I think the guy's got a lot of skill. Kuzma has been playing respectably. I mean, he hasn't 
he's not as hot as he was earlier in the season, but he, he's still playing very respectably. You know, the person who has not played all that well of late is LeBron, but he sure is quick to point the finger at everybody else. And like you said, gets in there with this me and I'm not used to this and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, the Laker, I, I, and I don't agree with the idea that the Laker organization has this this losing culture. This is not them saying, oh, we don't want to lose. This is this is a whole bunch of, of, of players saying, y'all, are, we're done with us. You know, Magic, Polinka, Bus, Walton, LeBron said, we're done with all of you. We can, we'll, All of you are expendable, and you let it get out, and you let it get leaked. And now you're over here saying that it's their culture that they want to lose? No, they just don't care for you. They don't care for, you know, LeBron and, and all the people who said, hey, y'all ain't good enough. And so if you're Ingram, you're damn right you're playing for yourself. I'm going to drop 32 points because at the end of this year, you're going to trade me or release me. And guess what? I'm going to get a nice check because I can drop 32 and 11 on any given night, and I can do it alongside of LeBron. Or if you're Kuzma, I can, you know, chuck it from in, anywhere inside the uh, – on the on, inside the uh, – half court line and I can make it, you know, so the young guys, they have every reason to be playing for himself. But the point is LeBron is not a leader, has never been a leader. You know, he's playing, he's a, he's an amazing basketball player um, and usually plays exceptionally well. But again, there's never been a player that's come, come to a free agent. That's a big free agent. That's gone to him. Never once. No one went to Cleveland. No one, no one knew came to the heat. He went to the heat. And no one's got, you know, no one came to Laker. And that's because he's quick when things go bad to start pointing the finger at everybody but himself. So the problem is LeBron. Now, they're definitely not making the playoffs. I mean, they're in 11th seed right now. I don't want to um, make the playoffs. Ceremonial yeah, playoff berth doesn't really help us. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason to try and get to the playoffs was to try and get to the um, get to the 7th seed, not the 8th seed, right? I mean, the 8th seed is a first-round knockout by the, at the hands of the Warriors. You know, what you wanted to do was get to the seventh seed where you had a fighting chance. And, and, and LeBron is absolutely good enough to carry you um, for a couple of, uh, of games at a series to get into the second round of the playoffs. If you're playing someone like um, like Denver or San Antonio or one of these other teams that kind of moshed in the middle. So anyways, that, that's that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, we, we do suck, but we suck because LeBron, you know, it needs to take a look in the mirror uh, more so than pointing the finger at everybody else. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, um, so that's that. That's pretty much all our topics. This is our last segment, that minute to win it. Um, the quick rant B we actually got, excuse me, you slated to start this one off. So the floor is yours for a minute or so. Um, what's on your mind? Well, nothing major, you know, we were, we were talking about, um, the, the whole Zion and basketball and, and I'll just rail against the, the NCAA, you know, the NCAA, and this is not just for the basketball and um, just an organization that, that it continuously proves that they just don't give a care about the people they're supposed to care about. You know, it, 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 this goes, they're like, Oh, we don't want to do a, a real playoff. Um, for football because we need, we're going to take the students away uh, for too long. And then they go and change the schedule so that they have more TV spread out across the time. They change the, the bowl game schedule so it goes longer. And so now you have games into January. So it's like, oh, we, we, we can do that, but we just can't we get it right so that we have a, a, a proper system. You know, they continuously 
dig in on the players and not the coaches. You have an organization where the, the the coaches can leave whenever they want to, break contracts and or break their contracts, and the schools can you know get releases and all this other stuff. And then it's hey kid, you know, eighteen year old, nineteen year old, you want to go someplace different because you don't. We lied to you during the recruiting process and told you that you were going to start, and now we got you as a third stringer. Sorry, you're stuck. Go sit down. If you want to leave, great. You can't go to any of these fifty schools, and you have to wait a year. You know, the organization is supposed to be to protect student athletes, right? First of all, the student athlete nomenclature is just awful. But when you add to that what they actually do with their time and how they spend their money and how they operate, and then you look at the amount of money that they make and who they give that to and what they spend that on, um, it's it's just very obvious to see that the, 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 the NCAA has – absolutely no love for the student athlete as they like to call him uh and and you know rats off to him i, I, don't, I don't have anything good to say i just you know not they they deserve wow. the karma that they're collecting i like it well well played with the rats off nice throwback a lot of people won't understand hit me individually i'll explain the reference to you <laughs> jason you're up yeah mine you know i post these podcasts when you uh, and I post them on Facebook as well and tag a bunch of people to listen. And, you know, those people who I tag, you guys, you guys are going to have to tell me why are the Kardashians famous. I don't know the talent that they have. And for some reason, when they date... Bob Kraft does. Oh, wow. <laughs> when, they, when they date all these players, their careers just seem like they don't go the way maybe that they planned. I'm just looking at all these athletes that these Kardashians have, have been with. This, you just go with there's a list here. Reggie Bush, he was a Super Bowl champion with the Saints. He was messing around with Kim, and next thing you know, he had to give up the Heisman, and his NFL career is pretty much, you know, was over, um, I guess, um, quickly. Uh, look at another guy, Matt Kemp. For those of you who watch baseball, he was a 2011 runner-up for the MVP. He was dating Chloe. All of a sudden, his average dropped 30 points and started missing time with a bunch of injuries. and Let's see, Chris Humphreys, he messed around with Kim. He was a top uh, five rebounder. Married Kim Kardashian, 72 days. That marriage was over, and he was bouncing around the league and he retired. Uh, Chandler Parsons, who I forgot was still in the league, um, he was averaging 17 points a game with the Rockets in 2014. Messed around with Kendall, and uh, now he's a bench warmer for the Grizzlies. I mean, this list just goes on and on. Jordan Clarkson, I know Brian yep. is one of your guys. Leading scorer for the Lakers in 2015, 2016, supposedly having a promising career. Messed around with Kendall, and now he's a Cuban Cavalier. I mean, I don't know how much he gets. <laughs> that, that, that's pretty low. Uh, got Blake, ah, Blake Griffin in 2017. He got signed to a five-year deal, massive deal. He's supposed to be going nowhere. He's supposed to stay in L.A. forever. Messed around with Kendall, and now he's on the Pistons, and we're lucky to get an A.C. in the East. And this, this this one really hurts me. Ben Simmons, I really had high hopes for this guy. He was the number one pick. Hooked up with Kendall. As soon as I, he did that, I knew it was going to be over. And now he's in a sophomore slump. The players don't even guard him because he can't even shoot. <laughs> Pretty much, he hasn't gotten any better. Uh, I mean, I just don't. I, somebody has to just tell me why they're why are they famous and why do these athletes keep talking to them? Because it looks like in the end, it does not work out. Mm. That's all I had. That was awesome, actually. That was that was really good. I, I'm weak. 
Um, so oh wait, no, oh wait, Glenn, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because you know, I guess I got to get on with Sacramento. I got to mention one more guy, Rashard McCants. Man, he was messing around with Chloe, and he did. He ended up getting traded to the Kings. So yeah, okay, all right. right he he got messed up because he was Rashard McCants. <laughs> no, I mean he could hoop that for a minute, but come on, cuz offline right. asking my Rashad McCants story. Will do. Um, all right, so me, couple quick things. One, Mr. Kraft, there's a team in Vegas now, man. Take it to Vegas. Don't ever do anything in Florida for anybody who's listening. Nothing good happens in Florida. Um, of course, shout out to my people who were born there. I get it. I love y'all, but a good percentage of y'all moved out. I just want that to be known. Um, also, the Raiders, sounds like they're signing that paperwork. They're going to be in Oakland for a year uh, with a another year option in case the stadium isn't done that's good they to me owe it to the fans i mean um even those in la who come up to oakland out here to watch games people who just want to be involved i mean we've as fans i say we because i have been to a lot of games and represent we've gone through a lot of watching a lot of bad teams play uh, of taking heat from both the guys on the other lines right now every season from since i was what old enough to watch football damn near uh, so y'all kind of owe it to us to a degree. So I'm glad y'all did that. Hopefully they have some some fan appreciation stuff, do some free concerts, um, you know, giveaways and just really represents for the fans before you go to Vegas and start raking in boatloads of money. Um, besides that, I mean, that's kind of all I got. It's always a pleasure, guys. Fabulous working with you as always. Today was February 25th, 2019. This is episode 10 of the Sports Counterpoints podcast. I'm Glenn uh, from Cinderella Studios. Brian and Jason are your stars of the show. Any last words, guys? No, thanks everyone for listening. We'll all talk soon. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, looking forward to March Madness and seeing Zion play. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So thanks, everybody. As always, I will catch y'all later. This is Sports Counterpoints Podcast.